you've got to really think about an animal over the cycle. You can't actually just look at it at one point in time. It's it's a matter of the animal cycle and the feed cycle. And you've got to get those two things working together. And I think that's a key part of what our herd managers bring to us. And you can see it. You can see it when you deliver a good mob of cattle to slaughter. They're on time. Everything sort of works together. From wherever we are, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia, recognising their continuing connection to this land, its waterways, the stars in the skies since time immemorial. We pay our respects to the elders, knowledge holders and to all the generations of First Nations peoples who have nurtured their unceded sovereign lands for over 80,000 years and continue to do so today. G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott, an 8th generational Australian regenerative farmer. And in this podcast series, I'll be diving deep and exploring my guests' unique perspectives on the world so you can apply their experience and knowledge to cultivate your own transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with your host, Charlie Arnott. G'day, welcome back to The Regenerative Journey and welcome to our third in-between episode um, on behalf of Highland Beef who are, are our, uh, we're very grateful, are our sponsors for Season 7 of The Regenerative Journey. Um, we've got Murray Richardson on um, again and I say again not because like, oh again, but like we, <laughs> Murray, Murray is critical. Murray, he's to back, the he's back. <laughs> <laughs> he's back, I couldn't keep him off the call. Uh, Murray being critical, one of the critical members of Highland Beef, um, who introduced me to the whole concept of it. I've known Murray for some years, um, and we're pleased to have Will Newburn on the call as well um, on the interview today. Um, and welcome, welcome, Will. Welcome to Regenerative Journey, and welcome to Zoom, episode number three of uh, this special, special little series. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Um, well, I thought we'd start off with just a bit of a background on you. We know, because you've just told us, you're at the your Gimpy um, Gimpy property up there. Um, do you want to give everyone a bit of a, a sort of a bit of a history on your association with um, Holland Beef, where you are, you know, where you're located, your various locations, and kind of how that all works in with um, your farming farming business and Holland Beef? Yeah, sure thing. Um, I started with Highland Beef probably three years ago, um, just stumbled across it really. Um, well, actually, as my partner's um, father got me in touch um, and it all progressed pretty quickly. They were looking for a herd manager. Um, I'm predominantly based in it in uh, down in the northwest slopes and plains of New South Wales between Warrior and Bingra, um, and that's mainly where... I spend most of my time um, and, yeah, Murray and Tony approached me to be a herd manager, um, look after the cattle in that area um, and it sort of grew from there. Since then I've sort of taken on about 12 properties um, uh, spanning in western New South Wales and up into Queensland um, and in doing so we also took Highland Beef cattle on our own operation um, which I probably was doing Highland Beef for six or eight months until I took cattle on myself, but uh, I sort of 
saw the advantages there and there was a few um, market um, indicators that led me to believe that Highland Beef was a um, good direction to take. Um, and then we also, uh, at the time, took on a different uh, relationship with our parents in regards to our own farming operation. So I'm in partnership with my three sisters and we began to lease the properties. So we have a property in um, just between Warrior and Binger and then also another property in the wide region, so northwest of Gympie. Um, and we took on leasing and running all those properties. Um, and we needed to try and look for some financial stability and that's that's where Highland Beef was sort of ticked a lot of those boxes. Um, and, yeah, I've since been with them for three years now and, and loving it. It's, uh, it's a great opportunity to... Uh, see a lot of different operations in the around the countryside and and I'm very fortunate that I'm allowed to pick their brains and see what works and what doesn't work and and bring it back home yeah actually you, you've got a you've got a good mob of farms that um become a sort of a nucleus of your business haven't you there yeah that's probably some of the original Highland Beach yeah, properties yeah um been been with the program a few years before I started with them and um yeah it's been a good good journey with them because that they've sort of ironed out some issues and we've sort of built a really good relationship to um find the cattle that's right for them and and yeah we we um talk on a weekly basis and i'm quite involved with with my clients um i like to get out there and and draft the cattle on a regular basis so then i can keep in real touch with the cattle and and um try and coordinate the kill um, and the movement of those cattle because ultimately that's that's where the money's made, um, getting those cattle um, killed on time and, and spec. Just just on that, Will, when we were talking offline just before about some sort of husbandry, um, uh, what's, what's the – we were specifically talking about um, preparing animals for, for – for, um, the transport, that's, I guess, one of your, it's in, it's everyone's best interest that they maintain weight and they're not stressed and so on. As a herd manager, how much kind of input do you give to the owners of those farms and the, those farmers looking after the Highland beef cattle in general management? Obviously, there's, there's, there's aspects of the, of the, of their herd, of the, of the, the cattle management, but, you know, do you think, do you have a role you know, in the eyes of those farmers, as a bit of a mentor and a, and a, and a an advisor of sorts. That sort of you often get asked about. Oh, should I put some crop in this year to fatten these cattle on? That sort of sort of steps out of the immediate um, enterprise of cattle. Is that something that you you get involved in as well? Um, yeah, I do to an extent. Um, sort of liaise with them more than anything. Mm. Um, I can only they they'll ask of my of my opinion and I'm happy to give it, but um, I don't want to pressure any anything on towards them or anything like that. Um, I'll, I'll often sort of give them a bit of a guide on how I see the cattle progressing through to kill, how I would like to handle the cattle um, closer to kill and, um, you know, it just really depends. I've got a very diverse um 
mob of clients. So some are more independent and like going about it in their way, whereas others are more open and and happy for me to become more involved. So it's it's really up to the client. But um, I think the more we can be transparent between each other, and I think it's no different to to your livestock agent or your agronomist, the better the um, relationship is and more often the outcome's more positive. Mm. Yeah. Murray, so, you had a we – we're talking offline about the about cattle, Murray, and um, with the sort of the the number of animals that, that Highland Beef put through your system and there's some sort of trends that you're seeing in terms of the right to the cattle. Do you, do you, Murray, do you, want to, do you want to pop that question to Will in terms of, you know, what, what is – how you, what you've seen going through the Highland system and how that relates back to you know the appropriate cattle for farmers. Yeah, look, I think the I mean you know we um, it's sort of interesting, Charlie. Our, our business, I mean, we're a herd management business, so we we essentially manage a supply chain, and I spend more of my time managing you know I suppose the the financing of that supply chain and the customer relationship, and you know we. You know, we're, we're very open about the fact that we're not out of the meat game, we're not out of the cattle game, but we, you know, we're out of food more generally. And I think one of the things that's been impressive about, you know, how we're trying to get our herd managers more involved in, um, you know, sort of what we do on a day-to-day basis is making sure we get, you know, so if you've got so many months to get an animal from purchase weight through to slaughter, you know, you've got property profiles, you've really got to actually make sure you get the right cattle profile to do that job. And I think, you know, that one of the things that Will certainly brought to us is, you know, a real knowledge of the type of cattle, um, you know, and, and a real sense of being able to select those cattle. And more and more that's becoming important to us because, you know, the customers are becoming more specific about what they want. And I think, you know, as, particularly as you go through changing seasons, farms become you know, um, more concerned about the capacity to get the cattle through. But I think the thing that we see and, you know, is, you know, we're we're essentially borrowing someone's asset. We've got to do the best job we can to buy the right cattle because that's, you know, we we don't want people, uh, you know, we're in partnership with farms and um, making sure we give them the best asset to do the best job for us. Uh, and you know, not taking any more of the asset or of their resources than we need is becoming. You know, that is a really critical thing. And look, we've you know the last couple of years have been tough on that in many respects. And you know, we've we've done a lot of learning in the last probably twelve to eighteen months. I think it's fair to say, Will, on that score, and we've got to get better at that because um, I think what's what's sort of interesting about it, Charlie, is that over the beef cycle, you can sometimes fool yourself that you know, buying a smaller animal or perceived, I won't say spending slightly less on an animal than, you know, another might sound beneficial up front, but it actually is a real negative down the back, you know. And and that, you know, you've got to you've got to really think about an animal over the cycle. You can't actually just look at it at one point in time. It's it's a matter of the animal cycle and the feed cycle. And you've got to get those two things working together. And I think that's a key part of what our herd managers bring to us. And it's one of the big things that Will's been stressing to me because, and you can see it, you know, you can see it when you deliver a good mob of cattle to slaughter, they're on time, you know, everything sort of works together. 
But if you get it wrong, like the time really does blow out, and we've seen a few of those, haven't we, Will? Yeah, that's the unique thing about the program is that um, everyone's got to work together for it to work, and a lot of that hinges on the cattle. Um, And if we don't select those right cattle, it just flows on. Um, Sorry about that. Um, It just flows on to everyone. And now that we've got an interim payment there, uh, that sort of alleviates the time factor a little bit, but it's also it's there's still a lot of pressure on on mm. getting that article to to the slaughter floor as quick as we can. And um, I think it, we, we've sort of learned a lot over the last 12 to 18 months, but it's also um, been very constrained by the by the market. Um, yeah, that's right. I think the market shifted significantly in the last probably six months, um, I think largely just based on the fact that during the last couple of years you could and sell anything you want regardless yeah. of spec, breed, um, condition. There, there was people out there that were going to buy it and that wasn't going to last and I just didn't see, I could see a lot of decisions being made by people that, weren't going to be sustainable. Um, just just on the, on buying cattle or, or choosing cattle, Will, what are you, and I think you or Murray touched on it there before about the rights of the cattle, you know, what do you look for when you're, I mean, not necessarily you're going to buy cattle, but what, what are the cattle that you'd like to see placed or the, the, or the decisions that a, that a farmer might think about or consider to to get the right cattle on the on on their farms in terms of whether it's breed or whether it's the season or whatever. What are some of the the key considerations that, that people have to really um, think about when they when they're placing cattle, whether it's Highland beef placing on a property or someone buying cattle themselves? I think the biggest thing, regardless whether it's Highland beef or whether it's me buying personally, is what's your target market and. And working back from that, um, because if you go in blindsided, regardless of what you buy, you're not going to be able to do a job on it. Um, and and then secondly is is buying good good quality. That I, I just don't agree that there is such thing as a, a cheap animal. Um, right. From from my experience, both in I mean, working in the feedlot, it's a very intensive operation and you see a lot of cattle come through. So you work, I worked out very quickly what worked and what didn't work. And then you come back onto a grass-fed operation where you've completely taken out all the additives and you're asking everything of the cattle. You can't afford to have poor-performing cattle um, sitting on your property. And, and I think that comes back to just selecting the ideal article to what you want to achieve and whether that's a feeder steer or whether that's just taking it through to a background or whether that's taking it out to kill, you need to make sure that that animal is going to be able to get there. And, um, I mean, the the obvious things are temperament, um, genetics, 
um, in terms of the Highland beef animal, like we really are chasing something that is early maturing, so a British mm. British based animal, um, because we're asking so much of the of the country to produce produce a prime animal. So we need it to be able to lay that fat and and not get too rangy and not have to require a huge amount of energy to to um to finish that product. And I guess the you know, early maturing animal is, reduces the risk in terms of time to time to maturity and you know the, the the lag time from arrival to departure. Where you know the longer that period, you know, worst case, you know, you know being pessimistic, the worse the, the the more that can go wrong. You know, we we the tighter those time frames, the, the the better for everyone, isn't it? Well, that's right. And when you start looking, ideally, you want to try and see what feed you have in front of you so then you can hit that target market and if you're able to buy an animal that's going to reach that that target quicker um there's so much less risk involved and that's not only for the producer but also for the end consumer like as in highland beef because they're they're almost guaranteed a guaranteed an article so, um, and I, I mean, I'm no Angus breeder. I, we have a heavy Angus influence, but we, we still, I still am very um, strongly um, for hybrid vigor, and I, I just, I just think you, you can't go past it. It's just so much free um, benefit from going down that line. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, if, you, if you have a look across the herds, well, I think you know you you certainly do see that it, it is about having the right vigor, the right mix. Though, you know, to your point, you got to get that early maturing. You don't want those rangy animals. So, um, particularly for the program we've got, and Charlie, one of the things that I mean, our customer in the US talks about is the right cattle. It's got to be the right cattle first, and then the best price. You know, price is very secondary to the right cattle. And, well, and, I, hmm. I was going to say, I totally agree with, with Will there before when he said, you know, Murray, you Murray knows that there's no such thing as cheap cattle. You know, there's yeah. just, you know, it's it'll catch up with you, you know, and and, and the, the, the consequences of, you know, what you think you're saving, you're going to be paying that back, you know, in some way, whether it's links to... to to, to weight or just 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 the vigor and the, the 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 health of those animals and we've you know we we've 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 got plenty of um, experience in in you know when we had lots of grass and went out and buying lots of things like most other people did a couple of years ago you know we 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 got some stock that um, certainly with you know a fair bit of bosinigus in it from up north in Queensland and they at the end of the day you know. They just weren't weren't well suited to this climate, and um, uh, it just took a long time to put um, to put weight on. And then you know, mm. the tail of those hit the the uh, the <laughs> the market pretty much the market earlier this year that we're experiencing now. So um, I've learned a lot in the last uh, 12 to 18 months um, <laughs> as well. Um, talking about the last little or period of time, maybe six to ten months, will you know the the market has changed significantly. Um, I was talking to someone earlier today and they were saying, 
and I can't remember, was, we, we were quoting the sheep and the cattle market. Um, one was 60%. Um, it's a 60% reduction. The other was a 55 and I can't remember which was sheep, which was cattle. Reduction to what it was, um, you know, 12 months ago. So basically 40% and 45% of what it was 12 months ago, which is a massive, it's a massive problem. Um, that combined with some, you know, challenges seasonally, um, North in the northern you know, part of Australia, and when I say north, I'm at Burrawa. You only have to go an hour, hour and a half north of here, and there's some challenges, or sort of northwest. Um, interest rates, um, the you know the whole you know, the commodity market. Have you got any sort of views on on what farmers should be or could be considering in terms of um, mitigating against some pretty Bad outcomes for their businesses over the next twelve months. Is there any any insight you can give us? Is there anything you're particularly doing to kind of batten down the hatches? Decisions you're making, you know, whether they're decisions early or um, drastic, or you know, just a bit of insight into how you're kind of preparing for what might be a pretty tight year. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling you. Um, it's <laughs> it's gotten real tough really quickly um i sort of prepared for it uh, probably over 12 months ago um we we had a, just a cross crossbred herd um largely um based on drought masters because of our uh our northern operation um and 12 months ago i just didn't see much of a future there. I needed to try and differentiate myself. And so I, I elected to sell a lot of our breeders um, and in turn buy back into some higher quality genetics and um, largely based around Shorthorn Angus um, programs uh, that have been proven to, to perform on the grass um so i sort of did it in that direction um don't worry i've, I've had plenty of sleep whoops nights um looking back going uh, i don't know why i bought these extremely <laughs> expensive cows but i think it's it's balanced it out well and it's it's held me good in good stead going forward uh, i think we're producing an article that's going to be demanded um in the future, um, in terms of at the moment, I think it. I would just be trying to fine tune every aspect of your operation. That's what I'm currently doing now, going through everything, um, looking how I can improve my efficiencies because that's ultimately what it's going to come back to, um, and. And trying just to improve my my overall performance. If I can keep performing, well, I can. I think I'll stay afloat. Um, but I, I completely agree. It's 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 become incredibly tough to try and balance out the rise in interest rates and almost um, cutting the cattle price in half. Um, I certainly feel a lot more safer that we've got Highland beef cattle running around. Um, that mitigates a lot of my risk. Um, I can guarantee outcome 
um, as long as I can get those cattle through to a through to a kill weight, um, mm. and that's just feed budgeting, going hard, um, reducing numbers to make sure I get those cattle through um, and maintain my cattle. Um, but hopefully, Murray, the season breaks and <laughs> we don't yeah. have to worry too much about that. Well, chatting to, um, I was saying to Charlie before, Will, that, um, you know, chatting to Bowden the other week, he, he was thinking it was going to be a dry couple of months, but hopefully a, a wetter into the year. So who knows? We'll wait and see. Um, we've lost Charlie there for a minute, but, um, well, one of the things that, um, you know, we, we were talking about before was your, or just some of the points you made about um, animal husbandry and, you know, that the, some of the supplements and various things we're using. Um, obviously, you know, getting that animal through to that slaughter position, fine-tuning things. I mean, it's one of the things we've really focused on in terms of supplements pre-shipment. And, you know, I suppose it's it's also part of that whole, you know, um, way of thinking around just, you know, keeping the animals calm off the whole time that we have them. Um, you've got a really, you know, you've got a great group of farms amongst, I've met all of your farms, but the, certainly the ones I've met and the ones that we've known for a while, you know, you've got a great um, pool of resources and learning and history there. What what are some of those farms doing that, you know, sort of really impress you about how they're trying to improve? I mean, you're saying you're looking for efficiencies. What are some of the things that the farms you've got that are doing that really impress you at the moment? Um, they're all moving with the time. Um, you know, they're all upgrading their facilities. Um, it was quite interesting. We held a field day there a few months back and the amount of positive comments that came out of that field day, you know, taking away aspects of this person's farm and bringing them back home, upgrading their weighing facilities. I mean, that's a massive cost saver in the grand scheme of things because when you're getting paid on weight gain, you want to make sure you get that right. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just just largely just looking at technology. They've all installed, you know, a Gallagher or a True Test system. Um, they're monitoring their cattle a lot closer now. Um, you know, prior to, you know, when I initially came on board, a lot of them were very foreign to it. They didn't want to be a part of it. They just thought it was more technology, more things could go wrong. But now they're taking it on board. They're um, looking at the data, they're looking at different ways that they can capture data, um, you know, looking outside of cattle. You know, there's plenty of people installing water monitoring systems, which, you know, that's a, that's a huge benefit towards um, the Highland Beef Program because if we can make sure that those cattle, you know, there's no hiccups prior to slaughter, um, that's, a, that's a huge cost saver, um, yeah. particularly with our program Murray because it's all based on making sure that that animal MSA grades Um, and they're just becoming a lot more open and and working with me um, to to ensure that we get these cattle um, killed on time Um, 
because it, it's a it's an extremely tough program to try and line everything up to make sure that these cattle uh, are on you know the best nutrition that they can be prior to prior to slaughter um, because as we all know the seasons can turn so quick, quickly and those cattle can pull pull back so quickly yeah. so you know that um, even the use of uh, the OptiWay um, systems you know people are looking into them because they're going well we need to determine which paddocks are the best performing paddocks and try and limit the um, interference with these cattle so yeah. I think there's a it it's been quite quite impressive actually probably the last um, 12 months I mean certainly um, a couple of favorable seasons has allowed everyone to be in a in a stronger position, but they're, they're certainly um, taken on technology a, a lot more than when I initially came into the program. Mm. Yeah, the, the, it's interesting. You've got an OptiWay, haven't you, Charlie? Oh, look, yeah, I used to have an OptiWay. Um, we, it was out, it was actually, we had it, it was, when I had it, it was fantastic because I had cattle on adjustment out um, about four and a half hours away and just being able to check in with it every day was fantastic. And the guy who, who when our cattle moved on, he wanted it. So I said, well, you, I sold it to him because it was an easy, it was easier to do that than go and pick it up again. Right. But um, no, it's fan- fantastic. I, I think it's such a, such a, not, not an inexpensive tool, but critical, but it's, it's a good point. You know, again, things are, we, businesses, my feeling is businesses can't afford well, they never really should have been able to afford, but certainly now in the squeezes on, you know, those those little, the wastage and the, mm. the incremental kind of looseness or the, you know, whether it's, you might call it ill-discipline or whatever, that, you know, we can't afford to not be using. And as we chatted with Stu Austin there a few weeks ago, Murray, you know, some of those things like the farm bot water monitoring devices, yeah. um Stu talked on my grazing, for instance, just to get your grazing right. The um, uh, f- uh, Safe Ag Systems platform, which we're looking 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 at very seriously about getting, which is all about WHS and work um, work uh, workflow and and procedures and and policies that you know which drive labour use efficiencies and. Um, all sorts of efficiencies in the business and just having good systems in place so that all these incremental um, things add up to a much better result because we just can't afford to have have things fail or things take longer to get fat or, you know, all these things that are so critical now because gross margins are so tight, you know, yeah. and, and the pressure's on. And, and a lot of these things are not expensive, you know, putting that like a beach port in water a few weeks before cattle go, there's a cost to that, but it doesn't take long to work out what the return on that investment is, you know, and having those things in a policy of induction or, 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 you know, um, departure um, are so easy to do. It's just that we, we haven't necessarily had to look so critically at our businesses and our behaviours and activities as we have, you know, as we are having to now. Yeah. I think that's flowed on into the cattle too because you know if we're getting more accurate data on the performance of these cattle i think it's it's no different you know if that if you've got a tail there move that tail on he's yeah it's doing nothing but 
but eating the same amount of feed as as your lead steers and and doing nothing for you. Um, and that's the same sort of uh, what you're saying there, Charlie. That you just got to get rid of that rubbish out of your business, and it's it's we've got away with it probably in the last couple of years because the season's been that good. But um, and that's where a bit of those management practices have slipped a little bit. But and it's during these dry times that we just really need to hone in on that sort of thing and and just make sure that those cattle are, are performing. And if they're not get rid of them, give them to someone else because um, they're not making you any money. Yeah, very true. And, you know, and, and, and they're not worth much. Like, as you were saying before, we'll take 12 months ago, 18 months ago, even the tail was, was people people were buying and you'd make some money out of. Um, we've got to get out of that headspace of going, oh, I'll still make a dollar because I'm going to, you know, they're, they're worth nothing. Well, they're not going to be worth any more in another month or two's time, are they? And they are going to cause... You know, they're the ones that are going to get sick and die and you won't get anything for them. Or they're the ones that are going to, yeah. you know, just create complexity in a business that um, no one no one should put up with um, even when things are going really well, you know. Yeah, no, that's right. So, again, these disturbances are, are opportunities for um, where there's economic, seasonal, um, commodity price disturbances are opportunities for people to, to really look and, and, and fine tune and sharpen sharpen the pencil. Um, Murray, any? Just, sorry, you go, Murray. No, I was just going to say before we before the meeting, Charlie, we were talking about staff disturbances as well. I mean, another really good way of actually just sitting back and looking at the processes in your business. I mean, it's we've we've just had some change, and you know, it's an opportunity to say, okay, well, what can I automate? What can I? How can I do things better? Yeah, and sometimes you can't. But you've got to at least keep questioning it because every dollar counts, every little bit of time counts. And one thing I'm sort of coming to terms with too, I always a bit of a set on technology and that you know if technology is in a business potentially taking a person out of the business, you know whether they're going from full time to part time or you yeah. know they're being replaced by technology. I, I'm I wasn't overly enthused about that idea, but I think you know I'm not saying that's a, that's that's still a you know, that's a good thing, but I'm saying that, you know, my my mindset has said, well, it doesn't just because you put technology in doesn't mean that you, you're taking a labour unit out or half a full time equivalent. Yeah. You know, it's then what is that person who's not doing checking waters for half a half a day once a week? You know, what are they there now doing that has not been done for years? Like infrastructure improvement, just bloody knocking off earlier in the day. You know, it could be any of those things. It doesn't mean technology doesn't mean removing people from a landscape because I think that's one of the worst things that, you know, outcome for it. But it's just like, you know, what are some of the things that just get left behind? What can, what can that, what, what does that technology allow to put the humanity back into and the culture sometimes back into a farm? Yeah. I think that's, that's a good outcome of technology. Actually, that, that's a really interesting point, Charlie. One of the first big capital investments I ever made in a business was around automating a sales process and, I actually saved nothing doing it, but I did not turn any staff over for 12 months because the main reason I turned staff over was because the sales process was so complex. They got bored with it and it wasn't until we were at a work function and one of the wives or partners of one of the fellows that worked for me came up and said, what you actually did by doing that was you allowed him the time to go and play sport again. 
<laughs> and, and I didn't know that. We didn't know mm. it. It was actually, but I think your point is right. I mean, one of the things we can always think about doing is redesigning jobs, you know, because businesses evolve, but sometimes we don't evolve the jobs as quickly as the business. And anything you can take out that's repetitive, that doesn't add value. And I think that's one of the points that Stuart was making in that conversation we had with him. You know, we've got, you know, one of the big jobs in our business is compliance. Sometimes compliance can be really complex, but you can simplify it, you know, and and it's just, and compliance is boring. You know, it it can be really boring stuff, but you've got to do it because if you don't get it right, you can't sell anything. So I think it is, you know, it is on all of us to actually continually think about that sort of stuff um, and and just try to make it easier, um, you know, and the, the environment changes all the time. And, of course, people's expectation around working for businesses changes all the time, so you've got to be competitive. Uh, well, and also, you know, like there's the, the it's hard to get good good labor good good help yeah. good good staff and so That's you know we we as as principals and owners of businesses and have to sharpen our pencils about well how are we going to make our business more attractive than yeah. the next you know in recruitment and that sort of thing so and that's that's a good thing you know it's a challenge but also you know the outcome of that will be a better business for the people involved the new person who might come in fill that seat and hopefully the bottom line you know yeah exactly um, Conscious of the time, Will, you um, uh, uh, you might have some uh, more jobs to do before the day <laughs> before, before the day is done. I don't know. <laughs> um, but we might say to you. I'm halfway know, through drafting. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> well, you better get back and finish the job. Um, hopefully halfway means only another half an hour, not another three. Um, you'll need some good set of lights in the, good set of lights in the yards. Um, Murray, any 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 you know, uh, parting comments um, uh, before we do wrap it up? No, no, look, I think thanks for your time, Will and Charlie. Thanks, you know, it's um, actually, it's sort of interesting. I I enjoy these conversations as much as I hope other people enjoy listening to, you know, the Highland story and other things. I mean, every time we have one of these calls, I learn something about our business and it's um, it's just all those little things that hopefully we can uh, continue to improve on. Yeah, totally. Um, Will, thank you. Um, uh, go forth and draft, and um, I hope to get up and check out cattle and property and location there one day up north, and um, I hope the season turns around for you as well. Yeah, hope there's some general rain across the board because it's, um, it's bloody tough at the moment, but in saying that, um, good cattle always get through these tough times. Yeah. Very indeed, true. indeed. Good on you. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Murray. Appreciate it. Right. And for those those listening, we'll be um, we'll be doing a uh, um, another one of these in a couple of weeks' time. And Murray, our next guest, who um, you've got lined up, yeah, and a fellow by the name of Peter Challender that um, I worked with quite a few years ago, and only met him again a couple of weeks ago. And uh, he's um, about to come into our program, and uh, he's done some really exciting things with his property down around Wagga. So, yeah, looking forward to that conversation. Be good. Awesome. Looking forward to that one too. Will, all the best. And Murray, um, we'll speak very soon. Good on you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Will.
This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.